0: Welcome to the Movements Podcast, I'm Steve Addison. Today we're talking to David Brudrick, a trainer, a coach, a strategist in disciple-making movements. David's going to explain how we can introduce disciple-making movements in existing churches. I hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: Everything needs some kind of stability, and it needs some kind of instability. It needs the pastor-teacher, and it needs the prophet-apostle, and um, the evangelist that kind of destabilizes. I think a lot of people uh, that are early adopters, that are uh, radicals out on the fringe, get very frustrated and irritated with the existing church, mm-hmm. um, and and rightfully so, because I think a lot of the church out there is not fulfilling the Great Commission. Um, But there is a place where the broken and the hurting and those that are are really struggling need to find a home, and so churches have a part to play. The first mistake I think we make is that when we approach churches, we expect the entire church, every single person, Mm. to suddenly step outside of their comfort zone and into the community and start making disciples, and that's a completely unrealistic expectation. Uh, the reality is that most surveys show us that anywhere from 5 to 10% of Christians are natural evangelists. Mm-hmm. It's probably even less than that. So, if you're looking at an entire church, the ones that will naturally step out mm-hmm. of, of their existing comfort zone, their existing friendship, relational context, are probably le- less than 5% that will actually do it naturally. The rest need a lot of help to do that. Okay. So what you're after when you're approaching a church is your your early adopters, your natural evangelists. And what you want to do is you want to move through the entire church to find and identify those people. What I normally say to most pastors is every single church has a couple of radicals that are on the fringe. Most probably if something doesn't change very soon are about to leave that church. And every pastor I've ever spoken to resonates with that. They know they've got a couple of people that have a holy discontent. I'm not talking about rebellious people, people in sin. I'm not talking I'm talking about a holy discontent. They're frustrated with the status quo. They, they they're the early prophets that want to see change. And my communication with most church leaders is, let me help you find those people and let me help you mobilize those people to reach the people in this community that your church will never reach, that will never walk through the doors of your church. So that's the first aspect of a change strategy in church. Find the early adopters and the radicals and mobilize them. Uh, The second thing that we would do is to look at um, how do we begin to transition inside of the church? And that's not a good place to start. Um, most church members today, especially in Western churches, are extremely tired of the next new program that seems to come across you know, in the church every six months to a year. The pastor goes on vacation, comes back, and he's got a new idea, and everybody has to follow the new idea. And so disciple-making movements, when introduced that way, you know, pushed from the front, uh, become the next program that everybody's tired of. And by the time everyone starts adopting it, um, the church leadership has found another good program, and they bring that in, and out the door goes disciple-making movements. So it's not a good way to introduce things to a church, uh, trying to filter through every, the entire church simultaneously. What you really want to do is get your early adopters, your radicals, your evangelists mobilized. Uh, Give them a way to reach the community. They have a heart for the community. They're the ones that understand that not everyone that they reach has to walk through the walls of the church and has to be part of that church on a Sunday. They understand that. They get that. So mobilize them into the um, areas, the regions, the people groups, the ethnic groups, the interest groups, the age groups that the church itself is never going to reach. Now, when you sit with most pastors and you ask them, draw a circle around the people that you are reaching. It can be a geographic, it can be age group, it can be ethnic group, it can be language. Draw a circle. And, and they draw a circle and they say, these are the kind of people most likely to come to our church because of our culture, our style of worship, the people that are already there, etc., etc. Then by implication, everyone outside that circles is fair game. Mm. They're not going to come to this church. But if we're called to make disciples of all nations, what are you doing about the people outside that circle? And so what we do is we mobilize a team of radicals in the church towards the people outside of that circle. So we're not even in competition with the people that the church is trying to reach. Now, in urban areas, the outside of that circle could be geographically right next to the church. So we've worked with churches, for instance, that have happy families, middle-class people, and, and they will never naturally reach out to the prostitutes that they walk past on their way to church. Walk past. Mm. But we mobilize a team, and suddenly the team is reaching people on the streets prostitutes, drug addicts that are, are literally on the doorstep. You know, one of the churches we worked with on the doorstep of the church that, that the people are going to, but would never ever feel comfortable walking into the doors of mm. that church. Mm. And so the team begins to reach those segments that the church cannot reach because of various reasons, because of the culture in the church, because of the style, the, you know, the way they do music, and, and often because the Christians are, they look very perfect in church, mm. and, and sad to say, often judgmental. So the, the idea is, and in, in what we do, is we mobilize a team. And how, how do you surface that team? Typically, we go on a hunting session, so uh, we we need the permission of the pastor and the senior leadership. I I don't even engage people in a church unless I have that. Once we have that permission, and that can be quite a process of relationship and building trust, once we have that permission, we want to offer a training and, and train as many people in the church as we can. In some cases, over a year, we've trained every single member of the church, of very large churches.
0: Okay, but you said not everybody's going to take this up, so why are you training everybody?
1: The the training is an exposure, Mm -hmm. and it's explaining to people this is how it works, casting the vision. These are disciple-making movements, and there are various reasons for doing that. You're looking for the radicals. But the radicals also need the support of the rest of the body that they belong to. So the rest of the body, they need people in that body that understand what they're doing and are championing what they're doing. The opposite of that is a group of radicals in the church that feel isolated and lonely and don't have the support of the church. And they will eventually leave the church. And what happens then is that group of people leaves the church, the church gets angry with you because you've now Mm. split the church and word spreads in that city or that community that you are the person that split that church, well, you've actually just lost all your mobilization strategy in that entire city. Mm. So you want people to be exposed to the general principles, even if they're not going to do it. They need need to champion. They need to say, yes, we believe in it. Some will even get behind it financially. Mm-hmm. They, may, they may finance, connect strategies to connect with the lost in different ways. They may, um, you know, provide food if you're going to go to the homeless to find people at peace. They may do all kinds of things to help that team. Um, but more importantly, and that's the key issue, you're really looking for that group of people that'll go with you. And you don't know where they are. The first people that approach you may not be the right people. Okay, so you can't predict who's going to respond well to the training you can't predict I, you know I've, I've trained over 30,000 people personally and our teams have trained many thousands more and I still um, by the end of a training I still cannot predict who's going to respond and who's not going to respond. Uh, sometimes people will come to me at the end of a training and talk to me and they're all excited and it turns out that they're the wrong people then there's a quiet person in the background that hardly says a word, and they're the the ones that actually go and do something. So it's actually very difficult to predict. So, David, why don't you give us an example of where
0: you've helped a church through a process of transition to disciple-making movements?
1: Yes, Steve, we've got a couple of examples, and um, what I think people need to understand is that no example or model is the same there's no one size fits all Uh, what we bring is a set of values um, not a new program and so every church needs to wrestle with this issue themselves how do they bring disciple making movements into their context and the expression will be different from church to church so we have seen anything from A church having a mission strategy, supporting a missionary to do disciple making movements, to releasing teams into the community, to a total transformation of an entire church. So we've seen that whole scale of things happen. Um, And so if we go in with any kind of preset idea of a model, uh, we're going to get unstuck. The, The idea is to approach the leader or the pastor help them work through a set of values, help them massage those values into the church, and for the church to then design a strategy and an implementation track that works for them. Um, The one example would be right in the beginning, uh, when I first got into disciple-making movements, I was asking the Lord, you know, what should I do, where should I go? And I thought, well, movements are about moving, so I'm going to move. And I just started buying tickets and flying around the country. Um, I didn't leave the country because I could only afford tickets in the country, but I started you know, traveling around the country. And one of those places I arrived at was Cape Town, where the first time I went, I didn't know anybody. And so I arrived in Cape Town, and uh, the first time I arrived, I opened my computer, and there was an email from someone. And so... I emailed them back and said, "You know, I'm not far from you. I'm coming over." And so, it was someone in Cape Town. It was someone in Cape Town. Okay. Yeah, they had you know, found you me. Didn't know anyone. In Cape Town. I had an internet presence, and yeah. so they had found me online. Okay. And they, literally, I got the email after I'd landed in Cape wow. Town, and so arrived at their door, and um, it took my family down a second time to people we didn't know, and you know, stayed in their house, and and so slowly but surely we started to build a network and get to know people in the Cape Town area. And the first people that we connected with um, were not pastors or church leaders. They were ordinary believers who were very dissatisfied with how stagnant and how ingrown the church had become, and were wanting to see something happen. And so we just began to train whoever God led along our path. Uh, The lady that was organizing those trainings for me, by, I think it was about the third training, mentioned to me that she had grown up um, from very young with uh, one of the key leaders for one of the biggest churches in town. And so she said, you need to speak to him. And I was quite resistant. At that stage, I did not believe that you could do this from church and uh, very disillusioned with church. Um, I've never got to the point where I hate church or where I dislike the existing church, um, but I was very disillusioned with the potential of the church actually making any impact. Besides, you know, a Christian club, and so she kept persisting, and eventually, uh, this pastor of this big church came along, and I met him. He came along on a Harley with one of those black helmets with horns on, and I really—I remember seeing him and thinking, "There's there's something different about this guy." Yeah, not your typical senior pastor <laughs> of a mega church, a mega church. <laughs> and that turned out to be true. Um, and so he, he was—he was really pushing forward. He had been on the mission field. Um, And he had come to a place of disillusionment with the existing church and the way we do church. Mm -hmm. And so what's important here to understand is that God had prepared the way. It wasn't anything I did except pray, focus on what I'm supposed to do, and seek out the right people. And and turn up to Cape Town, not, not knowing anyone,
0: but trusting that somehow if you're meant to be there... God would connect
1: you with the right people. That's right. And so the process is very much about the same as finding a person of peace. Focus on what you're about, pray and seek out the right people. And so we met. It was a good meeting, but it didn't lead to anything. And a year later, I was sitting with the same lady and she said, you know, we really need to phone that pastor again. And I uh, I was a bit more open to it, and I said, "Okay, you know, get arrange a meeting." And um, I remember the first day I walked into Peter's office of the second meeting. Uh, I walked in, and he knew me, and he said, "What, you know, great, why are you here?" Immediately started apologising for not following up on the previous meeting, but we'd both both been busy. And he sat down, and he he opened the conversation by telling me. That he did not believe that they could work with us. He did not believe that the church he was leading, which was a very large church, um, could get involved in disciple making movements. And uh, I said to him, "I think you're wrong." And this is why. And I went on to explain to him a strategy that we now work with, that we now do with existing church leaders that emerged in that meeting, as the Lord was in that conversation. And I drew him a picture that had to do with his church reaching the entire city. And I said, I I think your calling and the calling of this church is for the city, not the people inside the church walls. And this is how I think it can happen. And he looked at the picture, and I remember him making a phone call and calling in one of the other leaders and saying, look at what David's saying. And I had to repeat the whole thing. And he said, what do you think? And this church leader was a lady. And she said, I think it could work. And so they invited me back to train all their top staff, all their, their pastoral team. And I think it was kind of checking me out, you know, okay. put so me in front of all the elders and pastors. <laughs> I mean, were they the most likely people to, to implement the training? Typically, no. So, um, so why did you start with that? Well, you've got to understand that the, the primary role of most church leaders is to create a stable environment in a world of rapid change and instability, and especially in cities, uh, people are unsure about you know their future. They're unsure. Many people unsure where they're going to stay the next day, whether they're going to have a job the next day. In a very unstable environment, the primary role of the pastor is to keep things stable. So the last thing in the world that they want is someone coming in causing absolute chaos. And so you're going to go through a filtering process no matter where you go. um, And you're going to be talking to the leaders, the gatekeepers, before you can get to the people that you're seeking. Mm -hmm. That's just the process. Um, If you want to work with churches, that's the process that you're going to be following. And so he had me do a training with all his senior leaders. And in the training were his parents, who had started the church originally. And uh, I knew this was, you know, this was critical that they buy into this. Um, but at the end of the training, he was extremely positive. Everybody, everyone bought into it and said, "This, this is something we believe we want to do." And so they invited me back again, and uh, we did a larger training, and then we did a third training, which was a larger training. Which, which included the entire church how many people did that training probably I can't remember the exact but probably between two three thousand people okay so you did a training for two or
0: three thousand but you've already been training
1: uh pastoral by, the, staff by that and time key leaders. by that time the leadership was brought into not yeah. just disciple making movements they've bought into me. Mm. So they've they've said to themselves, this is someone we can trust with the people that we lead. And that's extremely important. Mm. They've got to accept the message and the messenger. And so you've got to be careful how you say things and what you say without compromising any of your core values. And so we did this larger training, and I remember going back to the airport uh, to fly back home again after that training. And Peter said to me at the airport, uh, what would it take for you to mentor me? And at that stage, I knew I was in for a long-term commitment to see a church slowly transition towards disciple-making movements. And so I made a commitment to go back very regularly over the next two years. And I went back and sat... Most of the time that I went back, I said to Peter, I don't want to preach I don't want a, a spot from the pulpit. That's not the place that you influence churches. I want to meet with a leadership team, and so I would go back and we'd meet for a day or two with the leadership team, and then they would go away without me, and they would workshop some of what we what we discussed. And so we began to massage disciple making movements into the church, and we we formed a complex strategy. You know, what do you say from the pulpit that can slowly move people towards disciple-making movements? Um, What can you do in the home cells that will slowly move people towards disciple-making movements? Now, we've got to be clear. Uh, Talking about it from the pulpit is not a movement. And doing it in the home cells is not a movement. But what you're doing is you're massaging the values into the church. At the same time, you need that pioneer team. You need those green berets. They're, and are they the they the, the radical the staff?
0: Oh, they're radical. So where did you find the radical? There
1: were some staff and there were
0: some non-staff.
1: Okay. So you find
0: teams. some early adopter, edgy sort of people amongst the staff, and then others
1: came what out of the, the training. They had a they had a youth program, kind of you know young people spend a year or two with them. There were some people out of that. Um, some of the church leaders immediately started implementing. Mm-hmm. Some of them switched from day one. They dropped everything they were doing and they started building movements, disciple making movement Style. That's what they were doing and that's what they're still doing. Other pastors were much slower to change. Other pastors were resistant. So you have to learn to walk with all of those people mm-hmm. if, you, if you're building a church. If you're going into a community cold and your goal is not to keep the cohesive, cohesiveness of the body of Christ intact, you can be a lot more radical. You can say you know, if you don't buy in, I'm just going to move on mm-hmm. and I'm going to go find the people that are open. When you're working with a church, you can't afford to do that because you can't afford to split the church as a result of what you're doing. So you have to learn to communicate with the different people and, and pull them along. Find the giftings that they have that can support movements even if they may not be finding people of peace Um, your change agent is your team of radical people that you find those are the people that you want to work with to get the change and what you want to do is as fast as possible get the stories from that team that you can bring back into the main body so we started telling those stories from the pulpit we took stories media. Of li- lives changed. Lives changed, place. people of peace. We used yeah. the language. We massaged the language into the church. And what, whatever these teams were doing, we would bring back and um, tell those stories from the pulpit, spread those stories through the newsletters. Um, all the, the home cells would, would pick up on those stories. And so what happened was not that. An entire church started going outside the walls of the church. But what happened was that the entire church became supportive of disciple-making movements. Not without tension. There was a significant amount of tension. But we managed to do it without splitting the church. And what happened is the the church developed an outreach to the Somalian community, to the um, prostitutes, to the uh, drug addicts, to the gang leaders, The city of Cape Town is full of gangsterism. And so they developed these these significant works amongst all of these different groups of people that would never darken the walls of their own church. And that church is now having a citywide impact um, as a result of DMN. Okay. And
0: so let's fast forward a bit. Now, what are you still working with that church, or is it just uh, moving ahead without you? Where where are things up to today? We we
1: had trained and sponsored trainers to come into the city and connect with uh, different ministries, different churches. I had trained a lot of people and other churches in that area. Um, And so there came a point pretty much right in the beginning um, when Peter and I sat down and I said to him, I'm willing to invest in your church, and I will stop investing in every other ministry or church in this area. I'm going to put all my energy here on one condition, that you take what we're doing here and spread it around the city of Cape Town. Okay. And so he began then to call together all the people that had been influenced by disciple-making movements, and they built a city-wide coalition that uh, gets together, I think it's monthly, and um, talks about the struggles and the challenges and the victories and the successes. And um, they, be, they together are identifying areas of the city that they, between different ministries, two or three different ministries, want to work together into that city. So each ministry will send a team and into that segment of the city. And all of them realize that where they're building, um, they may never see the results of that fruit back in their own churches, but they're willing to target that area and see the kingdom come in that area.
0: Okay, so you helped, once the, the church and, and its leadership came on board and they're getting some traction, you've helped them become the coaches, the trainers, the inspiration to mobilize the church across
1: the city of Cape Town. It's very important that... if you're about movement, you're about everything multiplying and replicating itself. So that's true whether you're multiplying disciples, disciple-makers, leaders, churches, or movement catalysts. And so if you're not multiplying yourself, you're not building a movement. If you're not multiplying trainers, you're not building a movement. There are a lot of people inside of disciple-making movements even that want to multiply disciples but don't multiply themselves. You've got to multiply at every level. And so wherever I go, I'm not just looking at how can we multiply new believers, but how can I multiply myself? And that starts from day one. From the very first day, I'm asking that question, and I'm pushing. All the time I'm pushing. And people are reluctant. Like, you know, um, And the reluctant leaders are the ones you're looking for. But I'm pushing them into places of training, being catalytic, and and eventually taking over, or actually quite rapidly taking over any role that I play in that in that area.
0: So, how much time and energy are you investing in Cape Town now? None. None. So, you've gone in and you've drilled down deep with a with a an open door God's given you. You've you've found a leader. You've uh, really uh, helped him craft a, a communication and transition strategy um it sounded like a, another key part of this was form not just training but out of the training uh, you've helped that church form a team of implementers trainers I guess change agents to keep the momentum going in the life of the church it's, it's multiple
1: teams okay this is this is this is a work of God mm. and um, I mean like I said Peter God had been working in his heart mm. Um, He was at the place where he was ready. He'd been exposed to other people. They were talking about movements. Um, He already understood some things before I spoke to him. And this really was a work of God. And um, what you're doing as a catalyst is you're working with what God is already doing in the city. Mm. Um, And you're doing it in such a way that when it happens, the people say, we did this ourselves they don't even recognize your role in what you did Uh, that's what movement catalysts do they want as quickly as possible they want to be in the shadows and no one actually remembers that they had any role to play in what happened they never the people that make it happen they're the people that work with god in what god is already doing in a city or a region
0: You'll find David's resources at accelerateteams.org. That's all from the Movements Podcast.